We're talking giants with Bobby Skinner. Cover a bunch of topics. That's all coming up next on today's episode of the Lachlan Giants podcast. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena, and thank you, as always, for making us your first watch of the day, if you're watching on YouTube or your first listen. And as promised, I am joined today by Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants, and we are going to be talking Giants. And uh, Bobby, we got a lot to talk about, man, starting with that GM search that's going on. The GM search has been pretty, I will say it's it's the piece of like research and info that I've enjoyed doing the least since for doing this for over two years now, because it's a lot of guesswork. You know, it's like we've done as much research as we can, but it's still like unless you're in those buildings with those guys, you don't know exactly what they're responsible for. It's, it's a lot of dot connecting, but it still doesn't stop me from really liking the candidates they've brought in. Yes, indeed. And of course, as we record this, the Giants are getting underway with their second round of interviews. So far, no surprises amongst those reported. Joe Shane of Buffalo, Ryan Poles of Kansas City. Um, No surprises there as far as I'm concerned. I mean, who else do you think you'd like to see included in the second round? Uh, Ed Ed Hortiz of uh, the Ravens. And then Adam Peters of the 49ers. I think at most people kind of have that same top four as long as, as well as Brian Poles and Joe Shane. So I, I think there was someone who said that those might get, those guys might get second interviews as well as Monty Austin Fort. Monty Austin Fort would would have been the one that if they kept Judge and were still and not only kept Judge but has been as high as Judge as they were say mid season that would have worked because those guys were really close in mm-hmm. in New England. Um, but I would expect Peters. He seems like a really good talent evaluator in San Fran. We've seen what they've been able to do. And then also, um, I mean, no one does it better than the Ravens. And, you know, uh, Ed, Ed gets a lot of – or Ed, Joe – I keep on calling him Ed Hortiz. Joe Hortiz <laughs> of the Ravens seems to get a lot of credit for uh, the things they do over there. Yeah, I mean, and that's certainly an important thing. I mean, you look at the Giants' drafts the last several years. I mean, it's actually continued under Dave Gettleman. You look at the 2018 draft class, and I just did this exercise yesterday for an article I was writing – the Giants, if they lose Will Hernandez and Lorenzo Carter in free agency this offseason, which I believe will be the case, they'll only be left with one member of that 2018 draft class, and that's Saquon. He's not and even guarantee he'll be back either. <laughs> you and there's know? No, right, exactly. There's no guarantee he'll be back. But still, that's a pretty bad record continued, you know, because that was a problem under Jerry Reese, and it looks like it's continuing under, Get- uh, under Gettleman. Yeah, that 2018 will go down in history as just maybe one of the worst Giants drafts, let alone, you know, picking Saquon at two, you know, looks like that, you know, with the running back position and he just has that battle with injuries. But like, you know, Patty, Will Hernandez is a guy that we've been talking about for four years and he was supposed to be the like the next best thing. He was going to be a, a great guard. Didn't become that. But I thought he had like a baseline of a like an average player who would like start on a good amount of teams in the NFL or be like the first backup on a bunch of NFL teams. And then this past year, he had his worst year of his career by far, like by far was just a worse player. Um, Now, some of that has to probably do with switching sides and playing next to Nate Solder. 
And then Lorenzo, you know, the injury, he looked good towards the end of the season, but no one, no one's going to shell out big money for him. And then the, they wasted the pick on Loletta. And maybe the guy who I liked most value-wise, R.J. McIntosh, got cut during camp. So, yeah, um, yeah they're they're starting afresh. Uh, I, I, a fresh slate is definitely needed for this team. Hopefully, they get the right people, and they're for the first time ever. They're essentially they're going outside of the building. You know, Gettleman was technically outside, but he was always a Giants guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, get some new voices in there. Now, I just put an article up on Giants Country on uh, on Tuesday about the challenges of these GMs or whoever the new GM is going to be, ranging from getting the cap in order, which is an absolute mess, to the personnel, get to the head coach and stuff. But let's start with the head coach. What kind of head coach candidate does this team need, do you think, after, you know, we've gone through – McAdoo and Shermer and Judge. What what do you want to see? What qualities do you want to see in the next head coach? Offensive game planning. And then listen, you don't have to be I would prefer an offensive play caller over a defensive play caller, but like that has to be priority number one. You know, two, I, I tweeted yesterday, two out of the last three Giants head coaches offenses didn't score 30 points in a game. Pat Shermer had eight in the middle of it, you know, and I think I think most people can admit Pat did some decent things with an offense that didn't have a ton of talent. Um, but, you know, the Jason Garrett situation with Joe Judge like has to come in and get his offensive mind guy. Now, I prefer a guy like Brian Dable out of Buffalo. If there was like, one name I would pick out of the hat right now. But it just has to be that advancing your offensive game, you know, on, and, you know, and building, you know, they were going to grab some offensive linemen probably in this draft, advancing this offense to be more modern and, not just pound the rock. They don't have the personnel to pound the rock like crazy. Um, but just doing some things like the Buff, the Bills and the Chiefs and, and the top teams are doing. Now, are you gonna are you gonna be those teams next year or even the year after? No, you're not. But you can get to around that middle uh middle of the tier range, which is where they were when Pat Shermer was fired. Now I want to come back to the offense, but I gotta ask you this about the defense, because you know, you played, you know, college ball. You look at the Giants' defense, and they went from a 4-3, which they ran for a number of years, and they tried to switch it over to a 3-4. I'm not so sure they ever really got all the pieces they needed to effectively run a 3-4. Do you agree with that, or do you think they're closer more so right now to a 4-3? They just don't have those hand-in-the-dirt guys on the edge to be able to run that 4-3 right now. Now, there's some guys in this class that maybe you could do. Um but also with the way their defensive tackles are set up, it's you know it's kind of meant for those guys to be inside the tackle. So I do think they have three, four personnel, and I, I like the way Patrick Graham has coached. Um, now most stuff is based out of nickel, but it, you know it does affect the way you draft edge rushers. Where you know I think one of Patrick Graham's biggest flaws over the two years and last two years was a guy like Marcus Golden, who didn't really add much uh, uh, pass coverage ability, so he didn't add that versatility factor. And wasn't the greatest run defender, but he could get after the passer on a team that had no one else that could get after the passer. Like he was their best pass rusher last year, and he just couldn't get on the field. So you have more of those types, but I do think Patrick Graham or whatever coach can would learn from their mistakes on that. Like, you know what? Get players, not types, and make them fit in your scheme. So I, I do think they have that three, four um personnel, but they're not, you know, they're not far away from changing it if they go and grab some hand in the dirt, you know, a Thibodeau Hutchinson or Carl Loftus in the top of the draft and maybe grab someone else later. So I, I do think they have three, four personnel right now, but uh, it, it does, it, it doesn't take forever to switch though. Yeah. I mean, you just got to 
decide what you're going to run and then just kind of, you know, build around it. And this year, you know, the good thing about this year's draft class is you're going to have a heck of a lot more talent than you did last year when, you know, because of COVID, not a lot of guys came out and whatnot. So I think you're going to have a little bit better selection. I think defensive end is, is definitely a strength. Um, linebacker, I, I believe is a strength on defense, cornerback. So they're going to be able to supplement on the defensive side of the ball if they, you know, if they want to add to that. And I think they're going to need to add to that. Safety is another position they'll probably need to add because I don't think they bring back peppers. They're not going to be able to afford them. You know, I'd like to see them back, but I doubt they'll be able to afford them. I mean, where do you see the biggest need right now at defense? That edge group. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, O-line, O-line those first two picks. Uh, but I don't think anyone would complain again. They don't have the pass rush. You know, Patrick Graham's tried to start the season off versus Denver by being aggressive, blitzing, and playing man coverage. And even while blitzing, they just couldn't get there. You know, and I was talking with um, a friend who covers the Broncos. He's like, man, you guys just can't generate a pass rush at all. And it made it easy for the Broncos. So he went back into more of, you know, those too high um, bend, don't break, but throwing different zones at, at, at other teams. So they just need that one guy who can make the difference on third and seven where, you know, the QB can't check the ball down where he has to get that ball eight to 10 yards down the field at bare minimum and routes have to work off of each other and have that one guy who's going to get there. He's going to beat that left tackle, beat that right tackle. They've got a decent piece in the Z's, but he doesn't get the consistent pressure. He gets those flash plays. Um, they need just that one guy that, you know, when you're game planning for the other team, it's like, that's, that's the guy we got to, we got to protect against on, on third downs, you know, whether it's Montez Sweater, Chase Young in Washington, their interior guys are really good, but it's like, it seemed like every week doing our previews for the games, like look at this defensive end, you know, tandem or this one guy, you got to stop him for the giants. No one ever went into a week worrying about our pass rush. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first, if you're planning to get fit or eat healthier in 2022, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. You'll want to eat it because it tastes so good. Unlike other protein bars where it can be chalky or waxy or tastes like a chemical spill. And most Built Bars have about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your New Year's resolution to eat right without the guilt and without the calories. So head on over to BuiltBar.com and use our special promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your first order. That's code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. We're talking with Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants here on the Locked on Giants podcast, and we are talking Giants. And Bobby, I want to go back to the uh, the GM search, the you know head coach search, which is going to ensue after they name a GM. Were you surprised when, you know, after reading and hearing what John Mara had to say about the structure and the uh, the hierarchy, if you will, that ownership still has their hand in the, in the pot. I mean, I go back to 79. I know you weren't alive back then, but uh, George Young, when he was named the GM, he was the first outsider, if you will, and the first true GM, had full autonomy over all football decisions. And Wellington Mara at the time was hands-off, as was Tim Mara, the other co-owner. But John Mara, in speaking to the media, said that, you know, basically I'll let the head coach and GM decide whatever they want to do, but you know, I have the right to veto it. Were you surprised to hear that? 
what he said sounded kind of right. Like, obviously, like, you know, it's his team. They run things by him. And I do think that he agrees if the GM head coach comes to him with a decision. I think he does agree 99.9% of the time. So the issue is the influence, the 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 pressure, you know, and like, for example, a guy like Jason Garrett. Do I think the Giants forced Jason Garrett on Joe Judge? Not 100%. Not like, hey, this is going to be your offensive coordinator. But I bet you there was a lot and lot of pressure and influence on a first-time head coach to bring in Jason. I mean, I kind of know that for sure at this point, that to bring Jason Garrett in. And then even in year two, like, Judge, you know, Joe Judge wanted Jason Garrett gone after the first year. And, you know, come January, and now nah, let's give it another year. Like, there's pressure. Give it another year. Give it another year. We'll get some wide receivers, more continuity. We don't want to put DJ in a, in a third system. So there's just pressure, and especially when you have a guy like, you know, Chris Mayer, who maybe he's great at evaluating players, but you can't say that he's just any other member of the staff like the way uh, Chris Pettit would be um, because he just can't be fired. So it's – it's and for guys that could be fired, which is the GM, the head coach, that puts pressure when a guy who can't be fired, who is part of ownership, gives his opinion. So I don't think, I don't think, I don't think anyone in there thinks Chris Mayer is in there like making the picks and videoing stuff. But his influence has more, uh, more than they would even want to believe. Sure, I mean, because I mean, look, if you're a new employee and you're new in your position, and your boss who's signing your checks comes to you and says, "Hey, I suggest you do this," are you going to say no? I know I wouldn't. And even there's going to be time, like there was times where they did say no, but it's it's like any working like you got to pick and choose your battles, and mm-hmm. it's just a. Uh, it's 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 kind of frustrating with the Giants, but I will give them credit as they I think they learn from the mistakes. I think they learn kind of slow. But you've seen with this GM this GM search and and you know firing judge, even though John Mayer liked Joe Judge, but realized like they just need a fresh slate. Even if it's not all on Joe Judge, they need a fresh slate. So I do think they've learned from some of their mistakes a little slower than the uh, most Giants fans would like. But this GM search seems legit. And I know there's still some dysfunction in the building, but the right GM, the new head coach, and those guys working as a one-two tandem to get the things they want works a lot better than, you know, uh, a, a Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman tandem that maybe didn't always see eye to eye on things. Yeah, especially there were there were reports in the you know the last few weeks that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman maybe not on the same page as much as they were in the start of the year because of the team just basically going south. But, you know, let's talk about the roster real quick. You know, you look at the results and all the money they spent last year and you say, my gosh, how could they have fallen so short? But that said, do you think this roster needs to be completely blown up? And, I, and you know, obviously the offensive line does. I, nobody's going to dispute that. But do you blow the whole roster up or do you think that there's enough salvageable pieces to where if you add a few pieces here and there, you can maybe make a, you know, compete for a playoff spot next year. Next year, I don't I don't think the goal, like oh, the goal is obviously always to win games, but there should be a mindset like, hey, next year is it's about building and not just going for it. Like, which they, they went for it this past season. And, but they, the thing is they went for it, but they were, their went for it was to win 10, 11 games, not be Super Bowl contenders. So they went all out to be a fringe playoff team. Um, had personnel issues, injury issues, and coaching issues, and that obviously it it uh it came far short of that. But most people, most people, not even like fans or Giants reporters, were like Giants. I see them at eight, nine, ten wins, you know. And obviously it went it went way south, went way south of that. 
Um, so there's certain pieces, and there's some that you just can't get a, uh, rid of, of the cap. Like, I, you know, like a Kenny Galladay, Leonard Williams, Adora Jackson, those guys you couldn't move on from if you wanted, even though I don't think the Giants would want to either. But you just kind of view it as rebuilding. And offensive line needs to be rebuilt. Um, and then the quarterback. Like, I would view – like, Daniel Jones, right now I'm in the boat of letting him get year four – not because he necessarily deserves a year four, and, and I think because a, a new O-line is going to make him some great QB. But decline his option. View him as a bridge QB for the next year if you don't love any of these quarterbacks in the draft. And then you reevaluate next year. If he blows you away and blow, and surprises everyone, then you can franchise tag him. If not, well, you decline that option and you move on. And if you have to sign a free agent or sign him to a cheap deal or you fall in love with a QB in the draft, then uh, you, know, you have multiple options. But don't tie yourself to Daniel Jones. And I think, but I, I also think there is some things that need to be blown up. I think Saquon Barkley being traded should be number one on the docket for the new GM. Like obviously you got the draft free agency, but the thing you can get done before then is get a deal set up because they're really in a no win situation with Saquon Barkley right now, because if he comes out next year and plays amazing, well, you're going to have pressure to re-sign the number two pick who John Mayer loves. There's going to be pressure to do that. Like he is different than any other, just any other player. If he doesn't play well, well, he's on an expiring deal and he's not good. Um, and then if he does play well, it's like, do you, do you know, if, and you want to trade him with a trade deadline, like one, there's no guarantee, but who's going to trade more for a rental, a game rental of Saquon compared to the full season. So, I know you're not going to get some great return, but I think a guy like Saquon should be traded. So it's not like a full blow up like they should have done in 2018. But yes, like a very clear mindset like, hey, there's some players who will be around for the future. But for the most part, like this roster needs real, real work. And especially in the most important places like QB, offensive line and edge. And then another point, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, you've got two draft picks and number five and number seven. Well, if they struggle again this coming year, they're gonna have they're gonna draft pretty high in, in you know at least in the first half of the the first round in 2023. So you take that into consideration if they struggle. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Daniel Jones. There was a time I said, oh, you definitely pick up his fifth year option. But this was before this was earlier in the season um, after seeing the injuries, and that's a big problem with him because now this kid, I think, is getting the reputation as being injury prone. So. You know, you bring in a new offensive system, you see how he does, you see if these guys can stay healthy, and you go from there. And like you said, if he does well, you re-sign him. But, you know, you don't want to be in a situation now where you have to choose between him or Saquon Barkley. So I'm kind of with you because the Giants have shown that they've been able to run the ball without Saquon Barkley. Maybe, you know, Saquon brings a little bit more to the offense with his skill set, but when you think about it, at the end of the day, what's his primary job? It's to run the ball, right? And pass pro and all that stuff. So he was just, it was, and I understand the ACL is a two year injury. I get that. But, you know, I saw a stat being passed around that Saquon Barkley leads the league in 50 plus yard plays the last four years. He had one of those in the last two years, you know, because he missed all 2020. He had one in the, the Saints catch uh, for a touchdown. Like he didn't have any rushes over, like, that's insane. So I get the O-line's bad in front of him, but he wasn't even half of what he used to be. You know, and he always had issues with hitting the hole and getting those easy, you know, getting those like tough, like gritty the dirty four or five yards. Like he always was the home run hitter. So he was the same guy who wasn't getting those yards, but also wasn't having the big plays to make up for it. Um, 
So I just think they're in a no-win situation. Even if he comes back and plays amazing, like, do you want to spend all that money on a running back? Like, I would hope the new GM doesn't want to do that, and he has no ties to him. Um, besides that, John Mayer is the owner who was here when he was drafted. That's the only tie that this new ownership and or new GM and coaching staff will have to Saquon Barkley. Right. And, you know, John Mara, for what it's worth, said he hoped that Odell would be a giant for life and JBP would be a giant for life and other guys would be giants for life. And we all know how those stories worked out. But um, so anyhow, one topic that doesn't get to talk about a lot, and I want to ask you your opinion on it, is the injury situation. The Giants have been, if not in the top three the last several years, certainly in the top half of the league, you could probably say the top 10 in injuries. What do you think's at the root of that? I know football's it's... a violent game and you know things are gonna happen, but you also had a lot of calf injuries and hamstring issues. And what's at the root of it, do you think? It's It's hard for me to tell because it's, like Joe Judge has brought in some of his new stuff. Now they still have guys like Ronnie Barnes there, but you remember, you know, I'm sure you remember that press conference during training camp when Joe Judge came back with like a list of like, hey, this is how our training program works. Guys coming off of IR quicker, or less because they had really good health for the most part in 2020. Um, like, and he like that he had the proof behind it and showed it. And then in 2021, it just went haywire. So it's. I'm no doctor, so I'm not going to guess on who it is. Um, but it, some of it is luck, you know. But a guy like Shepard, like Sterling Shepard, like he's injury prone. Daniel Jones, he's in, been injured four years in a row. If you go back to Duke, you know, he broke his collarbone, uh, you know, his, his his last year at Duke. So some of it is just the players. I'm sure there's some of the training. But for me on the outside, it's just like I can't even guess why. It's just frustrating that I, like, I don't know if it's the field, the training staff, or luck, probably a combo of all three. Um, but it just, it definitely, it, it got them in trouble this year. And I say people, people say, well, the Ravens were a team. They dealt with injuries. Yeah. Well, the Ravens were a Super Bowl contender and they missed the playoffs. Like the Giants couldn't afford injury issues and they had them. Like, I'm, I mean, David Sills and David Sills and Alex Bachman were getting real wide receiver reps at the end of the season mm-hmm. because, you know, so they were, uh, they certainly had, and the offensive line, like, I don't think people realize how big of a loss Nick Gates was. And even Shane Lemieux for his flaws, him being out, hurt the run game. Um, so they just had injury issues all over the place. Blake going down, like that was a, that was a huge one. Um, so they had injury issues, and uh, I don't know who to blame for it. Uh, it's not the reason that the Giants weren't a good team, but it definitely made them from maybe an average below average to like really bad, especially the Daniel Jones. I mean, I, that's where I feel bad for Joe Judge the most, and I'm rambling, is – he wanted to fire Garrett for a long time. He finally gets to fire him midseason. Not even a good that's not a good situation to be in, but it was the right decision. And the second play, Daniel Jones hurts his neck. The second play with the new and then it just it went haywire. And I think I don't think he knew how to handle that, where it was like I've made this crazy, this hard, tough decision, which isn't a, a great situation, but needed to be done. And then I lost my quarterback, who basically I made this decision for. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I have a theory. I don't know if it's if it's got any merit to it, but I question some of these guys and the trainers that they work with in the off season. Do these trainers just train them to be in optimal physical shape or optimal football shape? And I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. I mean, you can train and look like, you know, an Adonis, but at the end of the day, 
if your hamstrings aren't stretched properly or you're overdoing it or you're not resting, I, I just wonder about that because, if, correct me if I'm wrong, when Aaron Wellman was on staff, I don't think they had as many injury situations as they did the last few years. I could be wrong there, but, you know, they were pretty healthy when Aaron Wellman was around here. I wasn't as dialed in back then, so I wouldn't know. But, like, you look at a guy like Kadarius Tony, like, he just – it was all – like. I don't know if I can blame the tri- – like, he just had all these – I don't know what it was with him. And he's such an exciting player, and it sinks like – we kind of feel like his rookie season was robbed due to, you know, one, just not knowing how to use him the first three games, and they figure out how to use him and realize, like, hey, he's not as much of a gadget player as you might think, and then just injury after injury. And, I mean, every single one was a different one, too. It didn't – like, there was none that was just re-aggravated. <laughs> All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first, Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as the NFL postseason is underway. The NBA and NHL continue to heat up, and the sports world continues to bring so many memorable moments. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and betonline.ag has a new updated desktop and mobile website where you can sign up today for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On to get started. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, we're talking with Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants, and we are talking Giants here on the Locked On Giants podcast. And Bobby, you know, over the next few days, we should find out who the new GM is. We'll, we'll get an idea who the coaching candidates are. Give me your ideal scenario for the Giants and both the GM and, and the uh, head coach and why you like that scenario. My favorite would probably be Joe Shane and a guy like Brian Dable, even though I'd be fine with some other coaches. Joe Shane just, you know, you listen to him talk and you read things about him. Him and Brandon being built up the Buffalo Bills. They created an analyst department. They created a scouting department. They didn't just walk, you know, walk in and, and deal with it. And what I love about uh, Shane the most is, like, he didn't just, like, kind of attach – wasn't just attached to the hip of Brandon Bean. They worked together for a long time in Carolina. Bill Parcells came and picked them up, went in Miami, and then that's where uh, Brandon Bean, when he got the GM job, remembered, like, seven years later, like, I really like this guy. He's my assistant GM. And he has, like, a lot of responsibility. Like, a lot of things he does, that he's like, this doesn't need to go uh, to Brandon. So, I, I think he's just the best at overall team building. You can go with the Ravens draft or the 49ers drafts and like those guys more. But just team building, building a foundation from the scouting department down, I think he's he's the best at it. Um, and then you would make the – like, Brian Dable seems like the hot offensive mind uh, on, on the market right now, which, like I said before, that's what I value. And to throw even an extra one – somehow get Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. I, I don't think Graham is going to stay. I just don't. Um, you know, they essentially fired they, – they fired his best friend in the football world. Um, a, a new coaching staff would probably want to bring in his own guy. So Vic Fangio – but Vic Fangio would be an upgrade over Patrick Graham, and I love Patrick Graham. So if they could get just a offensive mind in here and then have Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, that would be my, my dream scenario. But I can make arguments for all the other – like Ryan Poles I love out of Kansas City. I think they're the best at drafting. Adam Peters has like some of the bigger hits. Um, it worries me a little bit though because 49ers have such a type on their offense. And then um, what's the other one? Uh, the Ravens. The Ravens. Uh, Ed, Ed Hordes uh, worries me. 
Ed, I said it again. He he worries me a little bit because the Ravens have been so long. It's like how many of those guys can he bring over to the Giants? Like, I'm, not to say that he wouldn't be the right guy, but how many guys can he bring over to build up the Giants, uh, like scouting department, pro personnel department? So Joe Shane's the one because I think he's just the best all around. Yeah, and also you look at not just the giraffes up in Buffalo, but the, the free agent acquisitions via trade and free agency and knowing when to, to move on from a guy. I mean, just overall, you look at their track record and what they have done. And uh, I, I don't know if I – did I write the number down here? I wrote down um, – I think the, the Bills are, what, 45 and 16 or something like that? They've got a really good record over the last three years. They've three three straight years of double digit wins. Um they've been in the playoffs, I think, three of the five years that, that Joe Shane has been with yeah. them. That's pretty darn good considering once upon a time the Bills were like, you know, bottom of the barrel. Yeah, they're a laughing stock. And and you know what? And also I give um all of these guys credit. Um maybe the 49ers a little less because they haven't necessarily hit the right guy. But the, from the you know the uh, Ryan Poles, uh, Joe Hortiz, and um, Joe Shane, those guys all took big swings, trades or whatever, on QBs that were not guarantees. Like we can go back revisionist history. Patrick Mahomes was not a guarantee. I mean, he was the third quarterback taken in that draft. They traded up for him with Alex Smith, who was getting him to the playoffs every year. That's a big swing. Not a lot of teams would have you know the guts to do that. Josh Allen was like he was the the. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were like the two players that were mocked in the draft process. Josh Allen a lot. Lamar Jackson, you know, worries of could he play the, you know, the quarterback position in the NFL? Is he accurate enough? And no one would have winked if if you took Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, or Josh Rosen. Those guys were all the real deal, the top three, you know, the top three guys. Those guys took swings on guys who everyone said that weren't wouldn't have been the right choices. So I think that matters too, because this QB's position is obviously the most important sports uh, position in sports. And uh, you're probably not going to be blessed with a first or second pick to pick those guys. Yeah. And, you know, again, with Daniel Jones, I think they want to believe that he's the guy, you know, but, you know, here's, here's, here's the thing, Bobby. I mean, and this has always bothered me about the Giants infatuation with Daniel Jones. They, the comparisons to Eli Manning. Now, Eli you know, I think we could both agree was special. I mean, he won two Super Bowls, probably should have won a third one, had Plaxico not had that gun accident. But I just always got the impression with Daniel that there's always been undue pressure on him to be Eli. Instead of being Daniel, be Eli, you know, be durable, be a winner, be this, be that. And I don't know that that necessarily has been fair to Daniel because, you know, do we really know who Daniel is? We we see a guy who's trying to be like Eli, trying to fill those shoes. You know, I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm not saying that Daniel is, is the answer, but I've always felt that that was another thing that wasn't discussed that put him behind the eight ball, so to speak. I do like him uh, more than probably the average fan, but at the same time, it's like it's we're going into year four. It, you either need to be it or not. And Eli had his flaws early on, but he – you know what? He did also have wins, and I know that now the personnel makes a huge – but wins buys you more time, where with Daniel Jones, they just haven't won enough games. Um, so with Daniel, it's – I can say, we do we know for sure what Daniel is? No. I think he's probably an average quarterback. But I think we know he's not is 
going to be a great quarterback at this point. Like it would be, it would be a shock to the world if he was a great quarterback. Could he be a good? Could he get up to a, you know, a Tannehill, Dak level? Maybe even that is a is a, you know, like you're. T- it's, it'd be. It's not the. It's more of a risky take, but it's just that. And all of his injuries have happened on design runs. If you go back and look at it, mm-hmm. you know the Green Bay one. I mean, he just ran over Zadarius. It was one of my favorite plays of him, but he got hurt on it. Um, Cincinnati was more fluky, but it was a run up the middle, QB power. And then obviously the Eagles won the second play of that game. Um, So it's like his legs are such a valuable asset, but he just doesn't know how to protect himself. Or he does know, but he's such a competitor that he refused. Like he just refuses. Like it's just he can't – he's just not built like that, which is like part of you admires – but the other, but you know, the smart part of yourself is like, you know, you can't, you just can't do those things. Like when he runs over Grady Jarrett from the Falcons, I'm fi- I'm more fired up than I have been in a long time. But it's just you have to protect yourself from that QB spot, and he has really not done a good job with that at all. Right, and it's that that old toughness thing. I mean, you go back to the training camp brawl when he was at the bottom of that par- the the pile there, and one of my things was, look, you know, Daniel, you want to prove your worth win some damn games. <laughs> I don't care if you're getting, yeah. you know, in, in the bottom of the pile, if you're getting into involved in these fist fights and stuff. That doesn't impress me. Win some games. I mean, Eli was tough. And, you know, I know I'm comparing them again here. But he but... self-sacked himself a lot, you know? Yes. Like, you know, yes, now, when you it know? mattered, he held on and threw and a ball to David Tyree. But he, 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 was, he was very – and obviously Eli didn't run, but he was very safe with his body. Yes, exactly. And because Eli knew the best ability was availability. And Daniel, you know, I think he understands it. But like you said, he's so hardwired to just be competitive and just, you know, take those chances. And I can't tell you how many times this year I, I would watch Daniel on a, go off on a, uh, on a uh, design run and I'd say, he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. And he got initially, you know, the concussion in week five. And I was shocked that he came back as quickly as he did. And then, of course, you know, the neck injury against the Eagles. And I, I said, gosh, I, I wish I had been wrong on that. But you could see it coming. You could really see it coming because he doesn't know how to slide feet first. Yeah, I forgot about the concussion. So that's five injuries he's had in, in four seasons going back to Duke. And they've all been different. Concussion, mm-hmm. and ankle, come on runs. quad. And so I really do admire his toughness. And I know I'm probably getting off the track. I really do admire his, t- his toughness. But, like, some people have to hold like that Arizona. That was I probably never been more disappointed in Joe Judge than that Arizona game where he goes out there with 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 the the injury. He sprained his ankle in the second quarter, and maybe he didn't tell them, but it was in the third quarter of that game. It's like this guy is hobbled. Like he he should not be out on the field, and they kept on they brought him out to basically the last drive. They threw Colt McCoy in, in that game. Um, so well, I was furious. Yeah, oh, I was. I've never. Been, there's been times where I think Joe Judge has made dumb decisions. That was the most mad I had been at Joe Judge over oh, the past I let two Joe, years. I actually told Joe when I had my one-on-one with him at the start of this year, and we were talking about decisions and stuff. I said, Joe, you know, your first year, I agreed with just about everything you did, except for the one thing, and he knew exactly what I was getting at. I, I said to him, "How could you have put him out there? You even said that that guy was like, you know, that Daniel was was." He had two bad Both, legs. Both he had two bad legs and probably should have been on IR. I'm like, what were you thinking? And he, you know, he just kind of, you know, glossed over the explanation. But I, 
I made it clear. I was like, I, that was the one thing I did not agree with from 2020. Now, 2021, there's a bunch of things that I didn't agree with, but you know, that's water under the bridge now because he's no longer here. Good guy, by the way. I don't wish him any ill will. I, you know, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I was hoping it would work out for him here, but you know, circumstances just didn't allow for it. And, and, you know, in retrospect, I don't know that it would, would have been fair to leave him twisting in the wind with it while the GM interviews were going on and not knowing if the new GM would keep him or get rid of him. And it would just been a bad dynamic. Even Joe Judge didn't do enough to be like, he has to come back. And to have an, he would have been on the, Joe Judge would have been on the hot seat and a new GM that just wouldn't have worked, you know. Um, you know, the same way it didn't work with Judge and Gettleman, where Judge probably looked at some things big picture and Gettleman was like, well, I need to win games or I'm gone. You know, like I'm sure that had to do a little bit with the free agency spending. It was like, hey, this first season under Judge was nice and Judge essentially saved his job. But now you got to do more than just like build and start. Like you have to win games. So it's just the Giants. I'm glad they got to it. I think they got to it a couple days late. Um, but they had to. They have to start fresh. They have to start fresh. Um, and does Joe Judge deserve the majority of the blame for the you know the Giants situation right now? No. But to put it, to bring a hot seat head coach back would have just it was never going to be a logical decision for the Giants. Yeah, and I think, you know, not just that, but the fan base probably would have revolted because they really soured on him. But I, I agree with you. I don't think Joe was solely to blame for some of the issues that they had. Um, I think where he started to, to go wrong a little bit is when he was talking about the culture and the behind the things scenes. Because I don't know about you, but I had flashbacks of, of McAdoo and Shermer talking about the behind the scenes stuff. And I remember ripping both of them for saying that and saying, look, people don't want to hear about what's going on behind the scenes. They want to see what's going on on the field on Sundays. That's when it counts. I don't care if you're singing Kumbaya all week long. It doesn't mean squat if you're not winning. And that's winning is the only thing that matters. Like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Patty, you've been doing it for a long time. Joe Judge could heal a child from the dead in one of those press conferences but if they lost five games in a row he's not going to get credit for that like they're gonna they're gonna do you know complain that he did it two weeks too long um you know so it's like he did such a good job at just ignoring it yes did it piss people off so he says the same things every week and he does nothing but he i'm sure he was tired of saying the same things too for six weeks in a row and realizing like hey i i could throw a lot of players on the bus i'm in a bad situation right now and that um that didn't do him any favors. Although I don't like the idea that a press conference and fan backlash, um, that was, like it was the right decision. But uh, John Mayer should have known what he was doing with Joe Judge before kickoff on, on week 18. But he got to the right decision, so I'm not going to complain. Yeah, exactly. All right, now a couple more for you. Is Do you think there are any coaches on the staff that are worth keeping? I know when Judge was hired, um, he kept McGahee, he kept Kyle Tolbert. Um, so there was some carryover. Um, ben Wilkerson, I think, was carried over. Yeah. Is there anybody on the staff that you would like to see the new head coach keep? If there was a way to keep Pat Graham, I would I would welcome it. Uh, but not because the Giants are forcing it, but because the new head coach comes in is like, man, I, I like this guy. I know the Giants have had their issues, but this guy's a gem. Um, but to go position coach Jerome Henderson, the DB coach, who didn't have Joe Judge. He was one of the – there was – 
he had some ties back to Jason Garrett, but like it was either like a Joe Judge or Jason Garrett tie for all the position coaches when they brought in. But Jerome Henderson has done a lot of good stuff with those DBs, and he's so attention to detail. Even when you think a guy made a good play, he'll explain like he could have done this better. You know, James Bradbury um, had a career year in 2020, and you know, like James Bradbury was a solid cornerback one, but it was like a downgrade from 2020 with Henderson. Adore Jackson, who I think was the defensive most outstanding player of the year for the Giants, he had a career year. You know, Xavier McKinney grown. Xavier McKinney was a bad player the first four, four or five weeks of the season. Like, it doesn't get mentioned much because he's off the TV screen, but I would watch the film. Like, he's not playing well. He's not playing instinctually, and he's making big mistakes. And then, like, his growth. Uh, Peppers had career years uh, under, you know, he's only two for, he was with him for two out of his five years, but Peppers found himself a role. Um, Aaron Robinson, like you know, and they've thrown Jaren, guys like Jaron Williams out. So if there's one position coach that I want to bring back, it would be DB coach Jerome Henderson. And he had Former no Joe Judge that. ties, so it's you know it wouldn't be like keeping the old guard fully. Yeah, and and Henderson, of course, a, a former NFL DB, so that was a big you know. I lo- I love Jerome. Even listening to his interviews, yeah. he yeah he I gets agree. it. You know, like there was a play. I remember last year uh, in 2020, the Boston Scott touchdown to end that Eagles Thursday night game. And it just looked like a it was a perfect throw. Beautiful placement. Jabril Peppers is right there glued on him, but it's just a beautiful – it's a perfect throw and a perfect catch touchdown game over. And I remember the following week you guys asking him about that, you know. Like, he's like, well, actually, yeah, was he tight? Was it good coverage? But if – if Jabril went with his right arm up instead of his left arm up, he could have pulled through. Like, so it's just such attention to detail on what the average fans say, ah, you know, good coverage, but nothing beats a perfect throw. Well, it's like, you know what? Jabril could, if he could have brought that right arm instead of the left arm down, well, that could have ruined a perfect throw. So he just seems like he's attention to detail and he's gotten them there. If there's one position group that's gotten the most out of their guys, it's been the DB group. Sure, with all the injuries and COVID. I mean, and I will say this, listening to Jerome Henderson when, when the assistant coaches were available was always a favorite. I mean, a lot of people I know gravitated over to Rob Sale because Rob Sale became a little bit of a loose cannon there at the yeah. end. But but Jerome Henderson was, uh, you learned something when you walked away from his pressers. I mean, it, it, it was fantastic. And, you know, you could tell he's a really, really good teacher. Um like I said, he played the game, and, and I remember asking some of the, the defensive backs about that, having a coach that played the game. They said it does make a big difference because he's been there, he's seen things, and now he can he can describe it firsthand as opposed to a coach that just looks at it off the sideline or off the film and maybe doesn't necessarily know because he's not in the heat of the moment, so to speak. Right. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'd like to see him. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen McGahee st- stick around, too, because, you know, contrary to, to you know, what we saw with the inconsistencies, and there were some good things about the, the special teams this past year, but McGahee I've always liked as, as a coach, and, you know, I, I, I guess he's going to go to Carolina now. I saw he got an interview with Carolina to replace uh, Chase Blackburn, who incidentally replaced McGahee down in Carolina. Yeah. It's funny how the cycle works, but... Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I uh, we joke on the on the Talking Giants pod that we just don't care about special teams. You know, we just, I just, I, it's, it's so hard. I, I, I always skip through the special teams plays, even when I watched the Joe Judge report. I didn't care to listen to him talk about special teams. Uh, so if McGahey's brought back, fine. If he's not, I, just, I'm not shedding it. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not missing him like I would have Pat Graham. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't get into special teams, and that's what kind of ball, that's one thing that bothered me about Judge before the fan base soured on him. It's like there's there's too much personnel moves made 
on just solely special teams. Like, let's draft a running back in the sixth round who could maybe run the ball and not yeah. just be a special teamer. Well, Do we Nate need two Abner, fullbacks? You know? Do we need Nate Ebner back, who's a liability <laughs> when he's on the defense? Uh, do we need to trade a six-round pick for Keon Crossan? Uh, or not a six-round pick. Uh, yeah, six-round pick for Keon yeah. Crossan. Uh, so it's I that was and and a time where criticizing Joe Judge would get people mad at you. That was like one of my biggest criticisms. Like just just too much like emphasis on special teams personnel and to have that and also not have like the most outstanding special teams in the league. It's like you just you can't you either got to have the best or you got to not put a ton of effort into it. Yeah, and and they weren't able to to balance it out. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if you saw Paul Schwartz's article, but he wrote about how Joe used to have chalk talks with the media, and um, I was in one of those chalk talks. And we, the way it worked is we had to submit topics we wanted we, we that we would have liked to have learned about. So I picked special teams kickoffs in particular, and I'm not kidding. So each session was like. 90 minutes in length and i'm not kidding when i say joe spent a good 45 50 minutes just talking about kickoffs and he explained why guys like nate ebner and keon crossham were so valuable and I, I was like so i walked out of there saying oh okay now i get it why they were on the roster i don't i still don't agree with you because it's like you also want to have them you know i, I didn't like they were number one number two Clemson. special teams unit and it was an advantage for them like consistently yeah yeah but it just wasn't you know so you got to you got to yeah. match. You got to match emphasis with results. Exactly, and I I also wasn't too happy when they got rid of Michael Thomas. I thought Michael Thomas was a a good special teams player, and b he can contribute on defense if you needed him. So those are my type of special teams players, yes. Patty. Give me yes. someone who can be the backup safety. Don't give yes. me someone that Colin Gillespie, who's like he adds no raw value to the roster exactly. on defense, or Nate Ebner. Give exactly. me like you can teach. NFL athletes how to be great special teamers, but you can't. I don't think you can teach great special teamers to be safeties. And we saw that we didn't see it this year with Ebner, but Ebner like cost the Giants defense a lot of big plays early on um, uh, in 2020. So that's always been my like, yeah, I'll give you one or two like just special teams guys if you got your Matthew Slater or or your Colin Gillaspia, but the rest of these guys got to be able to contribute on the football field. Like, and I've, mm-hmm. I've that's what. I view Michael Thomas as the perfect special teamer because you can put him at safety and he's not going to be a good safety, but he's also not going to be a total liability. Exactly. That agree with you a hundred percent. Okay. Now final question for you, Bobby, the draft's about a hundred days away. I think as we record this, so the giants have five picks, five out of their nine picks in the top 100. Um, First three picks. How do you see that playing out? And I know that, you know, the the final list isn't done yet. The guys are still declaring and whatnot. But how do you kind of see that playing out? And what would you think would be the dream scenario? Would you go offensive line, first two picks, first two out of three? Would you trade down one of those picks? How would you handle it? So, as you know, I get very into the draft and watch all the players, you know, and not just highlight, but like go into them and, you know, I was telling you before the pod, it's like we're just getting this, these two days of no Giants news have been nice because I've been able to catch up on some draft profiles. Where I usually fall is one of two ways is I want one of those tackles with pick five, whether it's Evan Neal or uh, Ike McQuanu out of NC State. One of those guys. Right tackle is a huge need. You got left tackle uh, figured out with Andrew Thomas. Right tackle is a huge need. So I'll probably I'm, – I'm, I'm guaranteed that all throughout draft season I'll end up with one of those guys with the fifth pick. Seventh – I'm flexible. If there's if you like George Karloff as the edge out of Purdue, 
and you want to take him, I'm not going to say I'm not going to be mad at you for doing that over an offensive lineman. But I also, as the offensive line in me, wants a guy like Kenyon Green out of Texas A.M.M. Or if we bring in a 49ers coach, uh, a Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, who you know can run that wide zone scheme. Um, and then with the third, the second round pick, I can't say a for sure this is what I want because it depends on who's there. You don't want to draft just for need. But I can see us having like an interior offensive lineman like Dan Kennard out of Kentucky they, they really like. Or, or if they go O-line, O-line in the first two picks, an edge like Jermaine Johnson out of FSU. You know, I wonder if they don't trade down to start stockpiling picks because look, mind they've that got, at all. I would not mind that at all either. So, um, I mean, we'll we'll find out. I mean, we'll start to get answers. Hopefully, uh, by the end of the week, we'll know who the new GM is or which way they're leaning. Then it'll be interesting to see if they what they do at head coach. You know, is Brian Flores, for example, going to get in an interview? I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, you know, definitely, you know, the Buffalo connection intrigues me and. I'm sure there's going to be other candidates we're not even thinking of, but uh, going to be a wild ride, a wild spin of that uh, coaching carousel. Yes, we're just waiting on this GM news, and then once the GM news is announced, it's like head coach is like the most important position in a building almost. So it just starts all over again. So um, excited to have some answers on who whoever is going to be in here eventually. Yes. I'm also I'm rooting for whoever the head coach is to lose in the playoffs because I don't feel like having the head coach being known who it is and then having to wait two, three weeks yeah, it's like Super they did with to Shermer. actually officially announce it, you know. Yeah, um, and then all the good, all the good assistant coaches get snapped up in the meantime, especially if the the guy you want ends up going to the Super Bowl. So I'm yeah, and those guys, and, and you know, those guys obviously built like. Um, now I'm never would be scared of Josh McDaniels' situation with the Colts, but like he hired all those, like all his assistants were hired by the Colts, and then he bailed. And it's like, well, these guys are in contracts; they got to stay. Um, so, you know, they work back channels, but it's just – it's nice to have it official and not be dancing around like it's probably going to be that. Yeah. All right. Well, we will find out. We'll be getting answers soon enough. There will be plenty more to talk about. Bobby, always appreciate the time and uh, love ch- chatting about this stuff with you. You can find him at Talking Giants Podcast with Justin Panek. Uh, the two of them do a great job. And um, folks, thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Locked on Giants podcast, making us your first listen of the day or your first watch of the day, depending on how you're getting us on the uh, on the airwaves. We will be back with all new episodes on Thursday and Friday. Hope you will tune in and maybe we'll have a new GM to discuss uh, by the end of the week. And if we get that over the weekend or whatever, we'll do an emergency podcast. There's still so much to be talking about and we will bring it all to you. So for Bobby Skinner, I'm Patricia Trena. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in.